here and welcome to European Movement Ireland's Just the Chats podcast series, where we take a look at all things Ireland, Europe and beyond by sitting down and having a chat with guests from across Ireland, across the EU and further afield. My name is Noelle O'Connell and I am the CEO of European Movement Ireland. I'm delighted to welcome uh, German ambassador to Ireland, Dijke Potzel, for what I think it's fair to say, Ambassador, or Dyke, if I may, a special anniversary edition for, for, for both of us. I should start off by saying for us in European Movement Ireland, this is our one year anniversary of our Just the Chats podcast series, and you are our returning second guest. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful, and congratulations on the anniversary. <laughs> Thank you. But we're actually here, Dyke, celebrating our... Uh, I, I suppose, to be honest, I have to say it and I have to confess, a far more important anniversary than that, uh, the 30th anniversary of German unification, Deutsche uh, Einheit. <laughs> and unfortunately, this year, um, sadly, celebrations had to be curtailed somewhat. Yeah, absolutely, because of the pandemic. And that, of course, is really a pity because 30 years is something very special. Um, and uh, I was um, surprised myself that uh, 30 years into reunification, I personally um, had a pretty emotional day. You know, I mean, we couldn't celebrate here, which was a pity. We had to cancel our reception, which was actually planned for the second, and it would have been wonderful. There was the sun was shining, it was warm and dry and blue skies, so we would have had a lovely party, and it would have been uh, really important to me to share with our Irish friends who were so helpful uh, in making that reunification possible to celebrate and say thank you and also look back together at you know what has been achieved since then but also what still needs to be achieved for sure i mean you you mentioned well firstly the weather uh, the, the good weather would have been unusual enough <laughs> on its own right <laughs> but i i can imagine uh, very tough to, to celebrate uh, such uh, a special day but to have it curtailed by the difficult circumstances that we're living um, living through. For, for you, uh, as the German ambassador to Ireland, Dyko, what does the 30-year anniversary of German unification, what does that mean for, for Germans? Um, I think it's a good time to, um, as I said, look back, but also look forward. And looking back, I think um, we realised, A, that... Uh, the majority of Germans are very happy about reunification and that uh, uh, most of them think that we handled it pretty well. So nine out of 10 Germans are very happy about the way it went uh, or pretty happy about the way it went. Um, I mean, we are a unified country. We are prosperous. We are a democratic country. People enjoy liberties. The East Germans, um, people who were brought up in the East like me, you know, they now enjoy all the freedoms that we enjoy in Europe in this European um, Union peace project that we enjoy together. So um, it's been um, successful also economically. We are doing really well. Um, so in that regard, I think a lot of people are very happy with what, where we are at the moment. Um, and it's still going back, also looking back at this only and first really a peaceful democratic revolution in Germany uh, that then resulted in the peaceful reunification of our country. And that is indeed something to celebrate together with our European friends because they were so instrumental. And at the beginning, obviously, there were around us in Europe um, a lot of question marks. Would that work? You know, would we really want that big reunited Germany in the midst of Europe? 
Um, but everybody then realized it is the way forward and they were all very supportive. So that, that again is something to celebrate that we were reunited in or under the European roof, which is so important to us. And that's why uh, we are particularly happy to have the, the EU presidency now at this particular juncture in time, 30 years on. On the other hand, it is definitely also a time where we are maybe more able to talk about the things that didn't go well and where we still need to work on. Um, like people in East Germany, for instance, um, still a majority of them, 60%, feel like second-class citizens, even today. Um, they feel that um, people are not sort of um, recognizing their achievements in life, like prior to reunification, but also after that. For a lot of people, it meant ruptures in their life. It meant uh, a completely new structure of state, um, adjusting to a completely different society, a democratic society. Um, and it, it, uh, they also needed to learn, we needed to learn how to live in that free, open, democratic society. You were much more responsible for your own way of life, you know, um, than you were before. So a lot of adjustment there and people feel that that wasn't really recognized and seen by a lot of West Germans. Still, um, very few East Germans made it to top posts um, in, 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 you know, ministries and wherever, uh, also in businesses. Um, and, you know, even today, pensions and wages are lower in the Eastern federal states, and a lot of people feel that's unfair. So we, we need that uh, debate, um, and we need to still get to know each other better, even better. I mean, we have already progressed a lot, but still there is things that... Uh, that we need to talk about as a society and 30 years into unification it is apparently more obvious that this uh, that this discussion this debate is needed in society um, and that we uh, need to share our stories um, uh, with each other and as I said get to know each other better and that is really very important and I think people see that more today and also the Chancellor um, said that um, in her speech on the occasion of the anniversary and a lot of other politicians, also our, our president. So it's, it's kind of, you know, acknowledging what we have achieved, but then also talking about what do we need to still talk about and improve. That, that's really interesting, Dijka, because we in Ireland look to Germany and the unification and reunification it seems to have gone really well, but you have touched upon some of the, the takeaways and the lessons that, that need to be learned. I mean, if, if it's not too personal a question, can I ask you and say, say for your family and your friends and your peers, for you when it happened, was it a massive rupture? Was it a massive change? You know, was it, was it difficult to, to deal with it? Well, uh, I personally was, um, and thank you for that question, I was personally very lucky because I was 21 at the time, I wasn't kind of an established, you know, mother or whatever, you know, I, I wasn't established in my job yet. So I was in the midst of my studies and kind of the world opened up for me and I was flexible enough to adjust to that new system. But yes, it was a major upheaval, you know, I mean, nothing remained the same actually, you know, um, at university things had changed dramatically, um, you know, before, prior to reunification, we would have had um, a curriculum that we were given, you know, you came in in September and there was your curriculum and you knew exactly what courses to take and what time and you had to be there and everything. 
and suddenly the wall fell and the reunification happened and then suddenly you were there like it is you know uh, choosing your own things, you know, your own causes. And I was completely overwhelmed. Like what? I have a choice. I don't, you know, what, what do I need to do? What do I have to, to focus on? So, and like little things like that, supermarkets, you know, you go to a shop and suddenly there is stuff that you've never seen in your life, you know, like six different, uh, uh versions of butter and 10 different coffee, uh, coffees and stuff. And you go like, whoa, I'm really overwhelmed. So it's like the little things, but big on a bigger scale, a lot of people lost their jobs. Um, hundreds of thousands of people within uh, a couple of months lost their job because the East German economy simply wasn't viable. Um, and uh, a lot of companies closed down. Some were bought over by Western companies and then closed down. So a lot of people, especially women, many women, for instance, in the textile industry lost their jobs. So unemployment shoot it up you know we had like 25 percent and sometimes more um uh, unemployment um and that of course had a huge impact on families on structures uh you know people didn't know how to make ends meet suddenly you know where where does the money come from and uh and that that caused major ruptures in a lot of people's lives now like i as i said i was lucky i was 21 but like people in their mid 40s mid 50s who were actually, you know, responsible for looking after a family, for um, caring for, you know, children and 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 what have you. So that for them it was really difficult, obviously, in those circumstances where so many people lost their jobs. For like my parents' generation, my father was um, 60 when unification happened. He was close to retirement, so again that was easier to handle. So he didn't lose his job. So he hang in there for another five years and then he was a pensioner so that again for that generation was a bit better but have a mind also that uh, because of the monetary union a lot of people lost a lot of money yes uh six thousand euros uh deutsch east german marks were changed one on one to one to west german but the rest was one to two which from a West German perspective was all very, very, very good and very fair, but East Germans lost, you know, half of their money basically. So um, there were a lot of these issues going on and it, it caused really uh, major changes uh, for a lot of people um, in a very sort of, uh, very uh, sort of um, impacted on, on daily life really, daily life, let alone the bigger questions of, you know, how does a democracy, how does that system work, you know, uh, it, and that also needed adjustment, absolutely. And did courses take place or, or, or did you just all have to row in and, and adapt to the, to the new normal? How, it, it's, it sounds like that it, it was so sudden that perhaps in terms of the lead-in or, or getting used to the fact, did, did, that, did you feel that that happened? Was that an experience? There, there were there were no courses, no nothing. <laughs> Basically, the expectation was that you just fit it in and just you know learned along the way. Um, and uh, and that was in hindsight uh, uh, pretty challenging, I'd say, um, and amazing how well people did. I, I think um, at the time, I mean, I was simply euphoric about what was going on, you know. And and I think a lot of people were at the time like really looking forward to to enjoying those freedoms to travel freely to have you know not not to uh have fears about talking speaking your mind you know freedom of express expression freedom of speech 
um, all that uh, was really cherished and we were looking forward to it. And also I think, and the elections in March, 1990 showed that a lot of people wanted this uh, reunited Germany and a lot of East Germans wanted to live like West Germans lived and wanted to enjoy um, that kind of lifestyle in a democratic state. Um, then later on, it turned out that it wasn't as easy, I think, as a lot of people thought. Uh, and as I say, this debate uh, is now actually a bit more prominent than it used to be. And do you see that as a good thing, Dijka? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And um, also, if you look at other historical sort of um, narratives, um, it takes it, it, it some time uh, before people are actually able to talk about this. Uh, and also before people are able apparently to listen to the other side um, of the story. Um, but I think it's extremely uh, important also because, and that I find really fascinating that a lot of young people now say they, are to, they were born around the time of unification. A lot of them even in East Germany would nowadays still say I'm from the East kind of thing, you know. They would say I'm German, but I'm from the East. And I find that intriguing. And um, someone recently told me like, yeah, but you know, like my parents were from East Germany. My grandparents were from East Germany. I was kind of brought up in that social setting with the stories of the East and, uh, and also with the values in a way, you know, um, and, and like social fabric and all that really being important there. So um, still 30 years on, it's it's in the in in people you know in their right. DNA kind of thing you know and also a lot of young people they would have seen their people their their parents lose their jobs you know and going to difficult through difficult times that of course leaves a mark with people um, and and so it's still there it's not something that that's uh, um, you know a thing of the past but it's still um, in us and so it's really still very important to talk about it uh, absolutely. So that ongoing dialogue and debate is, is still there and that conversation still needs to be had. Absolutely. Um, and, and in terms, uh, Dyke, you mentioned there 1990, and as you know, um, for many reasons, but Ireland has a, has a particular interest and, you know, respect in terms of uh, German unification because Ireland held the EU presidency when, when it happened. And we always remember Helmut Kohl's famous quote that Germany will never forget what you have done for us. Um, can I ask you if it's if it's appropriate to ask the German ambassador to Ireland, but what you have outlined there is just so fascinating and I think really shines a light on some of the conversation and dialogue that we have had, we are having, and that I think we will have to have here in Ireland uh, for our own uh, situation. Is there anything that you would, with the benefit of that 30 years of hindsight and your own lived experience through it, what lessons would you, would you share with, with us from an Irish perspective? Yeah, well, uh, obviously, you know, from the outside, the, the, the situation is very different. You know, the historical context is very different and all that. But I do think, like, having been here for three years now and looking at what we've gone through in Germany, that what I described right now, this sharing of narratives, this getting to know each other, this, uh, you know, not looking down at each other um, for being different or for having, you know, um, a, a different perspective on certain things, um, 
is, is very important. And how do you reach that is by listening to each other and being interested in each other's stories, also in each other's cultural background. Like just um, now, like really on, on Saturday for the uh, anniversary, um, a colleague of mine um, sent a text and said, look, I, I don't know anything about East German music. What did you listen to, you know? Um, and uh, a lot of West Germans wouldn't know, um, you know, what books did we read? What movies did we watch? You know, who uh, were the big actors in, in East Germany and all that things that are important to people, you know, and you grew up with it. And, and, and uh, so it's, um, I think that that is very important to try to reach out and not only in the cultural field, but also in a political sense to understand where these people are coming from, what shaped them, what shaped their, their social fabric. And, uh, and, and to really try and get an idea of what is important to the other person uh, and uh, coming from that other space, if you want to call it like that. Uh, and we've seen like after reunification, a lot of East Germans in, immediately went to the West, uh, either for holidays or for work. They were really interested. We in East Germany, we were able to watch West German television. So I think it's fair to say that we knew a lot about what was going on maybe we as the chancellor just said um, on saturday as well maybe we put it in a too rosy picture really we saw saw it too too positively um, in in one way or the other sometimes but we knew you know um i i i listened to west german music and i read west german magazines whenever my grandmother smuggled them over from the west you know uh, and and we read the books and all that um but west germans far less so and like many years after reunification, a lot of West Germans had never been to the East, never, because it's very far away from like, you know, places like Saarland or Baden-Württemberg, I can see that. But nowadays, it's um, luckily enough, it's a bit different. So um, especially like a lot of young students come over to study in, at East German universities uh, because they are less kind of populated um, and the uh, student professor ratio is much better and also the setting is really nice. So that's a very good sign, you know, we need this exchange. And so like looking at Ireland, I also very often hear from Irish friends, oh, you know, I haven't been to the North in years, you know, uh, last time was 20 years ago. Some even say I've never been up North, you know? And uh, I think that's important to like from both sides, you know, to get to know each other, to, um, yeah, to, to listen to each other. Absolutely, uh, Dyke. And you touched upon another uh, point as well. Um, for you as, as ambassador, this is a really busy time and it should be it should be a, a really special time, which of course it is. Not only are, are, you, are we celebrating the 30th anniversary of German unification, but it's also the German presidency at the moment. So this would be an incredibly busy six months for you uh, normally. How, how are things going? How are you finding it? I'm sure you're incredibly busy still, but circumstances are more curtailed and more unique. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here in Ireland on the ground, honestly, it's really curtailed the things that I can do. Um, uh, usually as an ambassador, you know, you, you, you're going out, you meet people. I traveled the country a lot uh, before the crisis and, uh, and was out and about all the time. And this is what we need to do. We need to represent our country, but we also need the contact to people to be able to report back on what's going on here in the country. So if you're not able to meet anyone, if you're not able to travel anywhere, it's very different. In terms of the presidency, it's really been uh, very challenging already for my Croatian colleagues before us 
uh, who were hit by it, like from out of nowhere, really. Um, but we also, I mean, we had prepared for this presidency for two years and then COVID hit and we just had to re redesign the whole presidency. So the main issue is obviously combating this pandemic together. Um, so the, the multi annual financial framework is so important. The budget of the EU, the recovery uh, plan is so important and we still haven't finished that yet, but at least, you know, we have the compromise in the European Council and now we are talking to the Parliament about it. So hopefully that can be done uh, quickly so that we are really able to have the money to, to uh, fight this crisis, you know, the economic and the social crisis that arises from the, from the pandemic. So that um, is like the overarching uh, theme of, of that presidency, trying to, to fight this pandemic, um, to cooperate, um, to show solidarity with each other um, and to help to find a common approach on how to deal with this. Um, the second big thing that obviously is still there is Brexit. So um, you know that uh, time's running up um, and uh, we, we don't have much time left to come to an agreement. Now, there's still hope um, uh, in Europe, I would say, that uh, a deal will be possible. Um, but it's close, you know, so uh, we, we need movement um, from the British side um, in very specific uh, but very contested areas, level playing field, fisheries, for instance, uh, governance. Um, so there need to be movements um, and obviously the internal market bill didn't help <laughs> to reach that goal. So uh, there is still a lot on the table now. Um, the negotiations are intensifying again. Um, but um, we 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 will we will try and we will be uh, sort of um, optimistic uh, and we will keep um, sitting at the negotiating table um, to to get a deal done uh, because we feel and my foreign minister said that again yesterday we feel that um, a no deal outcome would be so uh, detrimental uh, for Britain but obviously also for the European Union and we all know that Ireland is will be particularly um, affected but then there are all these other you know really huge issues climate change that we need to tackle together digitization we also have um, this new proposal um, by the Commission on the table in terms of refugee and uh, asylum uh, policy we really want to uh, get going uh, in that regard rule of law is another issue that we are really looking into and we again put another proposal on the table which is being debated at the moment but there are you know i mean really important issues for the european union that we want to tackle but it is just because of the pandemic it's so much more difficult to to um, get these things over the line because you cannot meet um, a lot of the um, uh, the, the regular uh, meetings in brussels cannot take place um, so that really uh, limits the scope um, uh, for maneuver kind of thing and uh, and that actual physical meetings are necessary I think was very well proven by the um, the council meeting on the uh, recovery fund um, when they met they had planned like two days and then they ended up with four and a half days uh, to get it over the line and four and a half days of intense uh, personal meetings uh, because you couldn't do that online. Certain things you cannot do online. So yeah, there's a lot, um, there's a lot to do um, and we're trying to work with the situation that we have. 
a, a very full agenda, Dyka, it's yes. fair to say. <laughs> so Dyka, you mentioned earlier in, in your previous comments about there not being as many East Germans in terms of ministerial ranks or, or, or high up in various portfolios. But obviously there's one big exception to that, right? Okay. <laughs> very true. The, the, the Chancellor Merkel, and, and she's obviously uh, very much admired here in Ireland and that support that she has consistently given in, in understanding the unique impact of Brexit on the island of Ireland, as you, as you mentioned yourself. In terms of uh, Brexit and the, the, the Chancellor, there is always this impression, isn't there, uh, well, at least perhaps in British media, that the German car manufacturers and possibly the Chancellor in a German-made car will, will be champ you know, championing over the hill, coming to the rescue um, um, and sort out Brexit at the, at the 11th hour. Does, do, do, is that something that you in Germany get a little bit exacerbated by or is it something that, that actually, is there a bit of merit and truth in it? Uh, well, actually the answer is pretty straightforward. That is a complete myth. <laughs> and, uh, and that's why it's so easy to answer, you know. Um, uh, I, I think everybody who believes uh, that that might happen, you know, that uh, the government and Ms. Merkel would be pressured by the car manufacturers and, and doing something that would not sort of harm, be in harm's way of the European Union or Ireland is just a myth. That's not going to happen. And uh, I, I remember like um, a year and a half ago at the ambassador's conference in Berlin, one of uh, the representatives of one of the big car manufacturers was there and he made that uh, very clear to us again, you know, um, that he gets that in Britain a lot, but it's simply not going to happen. So we're, because, uh, you know, pretty straightforward, the European market also for the big car manufacturers is far bigger than the British market. So, you know, they are also uh, uh, looking at the figures. And, uh, but on the other hand, one has to say, we really want uh, a close and as close as possible partnership with Britain also post-Brexit because they are an important political, cultural, but also obviously economic partner for us as we are for them, I suppose, and I would like to think. Um, so that is why we really feel um, that we don't want to lose them as a friend and we don't want to lose them as a partner. Um, and that's why we, are, we will try to the last possible minute to get a good deal to be able to work with them in a close and friendly uh, relationship and partnership post-Brexit as well. Are you optimistic or are you confident? Optimistic, I would say. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> That is something that I also kind of that that feeling that and sentiment that I get uh, from what I read from colleagues all over Europe and, and also from Brussels that uh, we, we uh, keep our optimism up and we keep working hard uh, and we support Michel Barnier uh, 100% um, and we really uh, hope that uh, we can uh, reach a deal um, soon in the next few days actually. The next few days, oh goodness, I know we're coming, we're coming down to, to down to, to, to that 11th hour, actually. And um, fantastic to hear that continued support for Michel Barnier, whom we in European Movement Ireland are delighted uh, is going to be our 2020 European of the Year awardee. So 
are very Fantastic. deserving awardee. Um, and actually on that, Dyka, um, you touched upon how you have had to adapt to a new normal as ambassador during these COVID times, but equally as the presidency ambassador, if we can put it that way. But there's a good, good deal of cooperation between Ireland and Germany. I, I know, for example, a lot of the COVID tests, in fact, from Ireland go to German labs. Isn't that the case? Yeah, yeah. It, it started like, um, I think, in April or something. Um, uh, when there was like a, a bit of a backlog here and uh, and then German labs um, supported them. Uh, and now um, I think they again signed a contract with uh, with the German lab to, to help with the testing. Um, but there were also other wonderful examples of, of collaboration and cooperation during the pandemic. Like uh, we both uh, brought home um, citizens of the other uh, nationality uh, on our repatriation flights. I think that was very important. Um, we also had uh, here uh, one big German company uh, who actually produced oxygen for uh, the uh, for medical purposes here in Ireland for the for the hospitals and all that. Um, we had a number of like human, humanitarian issues um, where we were able to help each other um, during the crisis when actually travel wasn't allowed, but then we made it possible and all that. So uh, lovely, lovely things happening. And also, and I'm so happy, I, I was and I am so happy about it. We uh, didn't let go also of our cultural exchanges. And that was so wonderful. We had this beautiful concert between Halden Pop. Uh, which is a small town in, in West Germany, and Dingle, the other Voices Festival. Um, so they put something online, a streaming concert for two hours, beautiful music on both sides, and uh, more than 80,000 people tuned in. And that was just wow. so fantastic to see that. And the, po the commentaries were so positive, you know, and everybody was so happy that this would uh, go on even in times of crisis or particularly in times of crisis because it was really uplifting you know so and people who are interested can still find it on youtube so it's it's we have these things going on we also um in the midst of the crisis really started um to uh, reconstruction work on Eckel island um don't know whether your listeners know but um on Eckel island uh, our german um literature noble Prize laureate uh, uh, Heinrich Böll in the 1950s, he bought a house there and uh, it's now um, sort of owned by the Eckel Association, Eckel Böll Association uh, for uh, artists residencies. And now the federal parliament, um, they gave 150,000 euros for reconstruction uh, of that or refurbishing uh, of that cottage. So that has started as well in the midst of the crisis. So you see, there are still things going on uh, bilaterally um, despite the crisis or helping each other in the crisis. So that's wonderful. Also, if I may add, um, in terms of business, uh, you know, uh, our Chamber of Commerce here, they had um, a lovely webinar, for instance, on uh, energy efficiency and microgrids and all that. And um, some contracts, you know, uh, came out of this wonderful webinar. Um, and so there, even there, you know, there is so much going on. Uh, a German company, BB Brown, uh, B Brown, sorry, they will uh, start producing uh, PPP masks here in Ireland now. So it's great, you know, so much going on. Fantastic. So, so the COVID pandemic isn't isn't deterring you from nope. getting out and about, if if not physically, virtually at least. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's trying to get in the way, but we won't allow it. <laughs> no, absolutely. And as you know, 
we were delighted to have you um, speaking at our German presidency event with Minister of State for European Affairs, Thomas Byrne, in what was his first, uh, his first public event as the newly appointed Minister for European Affairs. So there's a lot, there's a lot going on at uh, DICA, as, as you as you have demonstrated here. But can I just ask as well, you, you touched upon um, some of the that German-Irish uh, connection. And I thought it was interesting you, when you said after unification, getting used to, you know, six different things in the shops. Um, hopefully, uh, in terms of the butter, hopefully at least some of them were Irish butter, right? Well, at the time, I <laughs> wouldn't read, I wouldn't remember at least. <laughs> but now, you know, now our butter supply is in, uh, tightly in the hands of Kerrygold. So. <laughs> <laughs> and keep, keep keeping Irish farmers and the Irish agri, agri food sector very happy, which is important. Um, <laughs> just in terms, Ed Dyke, for yourself, it, your, your story is so interesting, right, about uh, growing up in, in East Germany uh, before uh, reunification and that, that journey to where it's brought you now. When did you decide that you wanted to apply to, to work in the, in, the, in the Foreign Service or, or how, did, how did that career path go about? Um, well, that is actually um, an interesting question because I had never planned on this. Um, Okay. A bit actually on the contrary, because in East Germany, it would not have crossed my mind. And there is kind of a twist to it because like um, shortly before sort of the, uh, the summer break at university in 1989, so shortly before the war came down and people had already started to flee Germany, right? East Germany uh, via Hungary. Um, I was asked by one of my tutors at university whether I would like to join the East German Foreign Service. And I was like, devastated i was devastated i really i went home and cried because joining the foreign service in east germany would most certainly have meant uh to join the communist party or even the secret service uh the stasi uh for for, for some and i was really worried to say no to them because that could have had really bad implications on my my you know career opportunities in, in right. east germany and so I was really worried. Now, I luckily enough didn't have to answer that question because the wall fell. <laughs> so I was really, I was really lucky there. But like, because it would have been so political, like the, the in, in East Germany, the, the thought hadn't really crossed my mind. And so, um, like when when like in 1991, my my then boyfriend, now husband, he found an ad in the paper um, by the West German, the German, then German foreign service asking for applications and he wanted to do it and he wanted to uh to just try it out and i said well you know i'm not going to travel with you as a you know and not knowing what i should do so let's try to see and that was my first application actually in the west you know uh, let's try how how they are actually doing those assessment centers and stuff and so i just went in with a very open mind and i still today think uh, that actually got me through the whole process because I was so relaxed, you know, I, it right. wasn't something that I, I wanted, wanted, wanted. Um, so I was kind of relaxed in the, in the, in the assessment center. And then actually the thought process started once they, I, I received the letter that the foreign minister would be very happy to welcome me <laughs> in the foreign ministry. And then we started talking to friends and I started, obviously, I also talked to my parents and, and we all agreed that it wouldn't be a bad idea to uh, try it out and see where it 
you know, leads to. Uh, and that's how I started. I thought like, you know, I never thought that it's the sort of the end of um, my career path, but I thought, yeah, let's give it a try. And uh, I have to say now I love it. It's, it's been a wonderful um, journey. I've, I've been to so many wonderful places. I've met so many wonderful people. I've had so many wonderful, the chance to learn so much, you know, about the world, um, about so many countries where people would never have the chance to go even on a holiday. And so it's been, it's been a fantastic journey. And I'm just grateful that at the time I said, okay, let's do it. I'll just try it. I'll give it a try. Did, did you and your husband, were you both in the same intake class? Did you, when you joined? Yeah. Yes. Yes, we were. Um, that, that was actually kind of funny as well, because I went into the assessment center on a Monday and uh, they kind of started off with, like, ah, and we see you have, uh, you're, you're living with someone, you know, uh, and what does he actually say to you applying? And I, I looked and I said, well, you can ask him yourself. He's coming in on Wednesday. So <laughs> this one lady got up and she ran out and she went obviously to all the files and then she came back and said, oh, it's Marcus, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah, it's Marcus. So, so that was actually really funny. So yeah, they, they, they took in both of us. And, uh, and ever since then, we've traveled around the globe. And um, it's, they, they were also very nice to us because, I, I mean, we, we job shared in Singapore. We were posted to Singapore first and we job shared there, which was great. Um, we were then posted together to um, Tehran. Uh, and uh, and that worked out really nicely. And then I came back to, or we both came back to Berlin with the kids and uh, I worked part-time then. So, I mean, it was, um, it, it really worked out very well for us. Now, um, I mean, Marcus in 2014 was posted to Kabul. That was a bit more difficult because we didn't see that much of each other. And now as well here, I'm on my own and he is in, in Berlin. Um, uh, and uh, so we don't, especially during the pandemic, we don't see that much of each other, but all in all, it's, it, it's worked out really nicely for us. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for on today's podcast. Fair to say, I could have kept talking to the ambassador. What a hugely interesting Future of Europe Just the Chats podcast where we celebrated the 30th anniversary of German unification. And no better time to share and exchange these views than the 90th anniversary of German and Irish diplomatic relations between our two countries. And on top of all that, Germany holding the rotating presidency of the EU. A big thank you to Ambassador Dijka Potzel for being such an interesting and informative guest today on our Just the Chats podcast. And thank you to you, our listeners. Really appreciate your engagement, getting in touch with us, your comments and your feedback. You can, of course, listen back to all of our Just the Chats events and our podcasts and our activities on our website, europeanmovement.ie. And of course, you can check out our EMI player where everything is available as well. Make sure, if you're not already, to follow us across all the social media channels. And please do stay tuned for the next episode in our Future of Europe Just the Chats podcast. In the meantime, Sloan Gafol and stay safe and well. Thank you. <laughs>